I'm Rob. I'm Nate. And welcome back to Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. It'd be week number three of Steve Martin Month. We watched the 2005 movie Shop Girl, screenplay by Steve Martin, adapting his own 2000 novella of the same name, uh, directed by a gentleman... Anand Tucker. And starring Steve Martin, Claire Danes, Jason Schwartzman... Bridget Wilson, Sampras, Sam Buttons, Francis Conroy, and various other minor performers. We just finished it literally two and a half minutes ago. Now, don't you want to ask me what my first impressions are? Isn't that I what do. We discussed earlier? I would love to get your first impressions first. Okay. It's interesting that you want my first impression first. I was kind of charmed by it. I was too. I, I liked it. I It wasn't a way more sensual than I thought this thing was going to be coming in. And Jason Schwartzman starts out as Jason Schwartzman at his least appealing. Like, I don't think I've ever disliked him more. I wanted to dislike him throughout the entirety of the film because of how he is at the beginning yeah. of the film. But he arcs. Yes. This is a, there's, there's some good arcs in this film, really by everyone, by the three principals. More so Schwartzman and Claire Danes. Yeah, we should uh, quickly clarify. Claire Danes, her character name is Mirabelle. She's mm-hmm. kind of our central character in the movie. She is the shop girl. Yep. And Steve Martin plays Ray Porter. Mm-hmm. And Jer- Jason Schwartzman plays Jeremy. All right. So just uh, kind of the briefest of overviews of what this is about is Claire Danes is from Vermont. She lives in Los Angeles. She lives in kind of a charming little apartment. And she works in the glove, women's glove department at Saks Fifth Avenue, which is such a retro kind of thing that there's still women's gloves department. And she's at the laundromat and she meets Jason Shortman's Jeremy, who's just this slovenly guy who's, who's poor. And he designs fonts for principally for a stereo company. And they have this kind of... An amplifier Amplifier company, company, yeah. And they have this kind of uh, fumbling uh, relationship that he initiates, and she gives him a chance and then realizes uh, there's not much to this guy. But then she's listening to this radio, like an NPR thing, about how women need the stimulation of touch and hugging. And even if the guy, you don't really like him, it's still good for you. And so... She literally fishes his phone number out of the dumpster and calls him over. They have an awkward night together. And Jeremy is obsessed with getting... He thinks that his boss is keeping the company from being... The AMP company from being prosperous because he just doesn't know how to sell it. And so he pitches this idea to his boss of him going on the road with a rock band. It's like, who do rock bands hang out with? Other rock bands. What do they need? Amplifiers. And the boss actually goes for it, and he ends up on tour with this band, Hot, Hot Tear. Yeah, and then he kind of goes over to this side plot, and you're kind of wondering why we're even still following him, or why he's in this movie. Yeah. And the principal plot has to do with Claire Dane Meredith's relationship to Steve Martin's character, Mary Ray Bell. Porter. Mary Bell. Yeah. Yeah. And Ray Porter is—he describes himself as a logician, log- logician. Something like that. Uh, he's kind of a number symbols guy, and he works for Silicon Valley. So he has a home up in Seattle, or not Silicon Valley, but for in the tech industry. So he's a home up in Seattle and one in Los Angeles, and then he has to travel uh, fairly frequently. And he just sees Maribel at Saks Fifth Avenue, 
has a conversation with her, buys some gloves, and then sends her the gloves to her address, which he managed to finagle through some subterfuge, with an invitation to go to dinner with him. And he is over 50, and she is probably in her mid-20s. And they start to have a relationship. And there's a wonderful scene where they're describing the relationship to different parties. He's describing it to, I guess, a psychiatrist. Yeah. It's like, I told her that, you know, it's uh, nothing's going to come of this and blah, blah, blah. And she's talking to some friends at work. And it's like, and she might even stop traveling altogether to be with me. And it's about that relationship and how it develops and has its ups and downs. And eventually it ends. And how... Jeremy has just so taken with uh, Maribel that he literally changes his life. And when he comes back from tour, he's basically kind of a different person. He's been listening to a lot of self-help books. I've been reading a lot of self-help books on tape. And the guy that's the head of the band ends up being kind of this kind of mentor figure to him. And he's like, why are you getting that silly relationship stuff? You need it, man. Well, and he says, you know, at one point he's like, well, just get them all. And he's like, well, that's a lot of books. And he goes, well, we're on tour till like February. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny how that guy just like kind of takes to him and they're like, come with us. It's like, we got a bunk. Well, and the first time that they, like after the concert, the first time that they met, he's like, you want to come and do some drugs with us? And he's like, I think I'm just going to say no. It's <laughs> like, good idea. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it's got those two storylines. They eventually re- converge at the end there's also a couple minor storylines you get to see Maribel's parents and she has this throwaway line about her dad hasn't talked much since Vietnam and they're just the the few minutes that you have of them it's like you get this whole sense of how quiet there must have been and Frances Conroy's her mom and they're just quiet people and so they come she comes to visit them for Christmas and they hardly say anything to each other and then there's Arguably, the, the funnest subplot is where the Bridget Wilson Sampras character, who's this uh, very blonde Californian lady in the perfume counter who's kind of a frenemy to uh, Maribel, sees her wearing this real nice dress and contacts one of her friends in the store and says, well, did you sell one of these size two dresses last? Yeah, yeah. Well, who bought it? And they probably should, they should be doing this. Looks at the credit card. It's like, oh, Ray Porter. It's like, Ray Porter. And so when she sees Maribel. Maribel. So Lisa is the name of Bridget Wilson Sampras' character. Lisa sees Maribel coming into this gallery event with Jeremy. Jeremy who they just happened to have arrived at the same time. They met in the parking lot. Met in the parking lot, and they're walking in together. And she thinks that Jeremy is Ray Porter. Knows that Ray Porter is rich and wants to snatch him away from uh, Maribel. And <laughs> Jeremy's just kind of like, she is coming on really strong today. I am well, not used to this. But then it's funny because she's like, I know who you are. And he's like, do you? And she says, Ray, and he's like, yeah, it's like, like Lisa who? Ray. Oh, Lisa Ray. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, funny sense of humor. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, that was kind of delightful. Well, and she takes him back to her apartment and it's, spends the night with him. Mm-hmm. And while, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's a central moment as she's rocking back and forth on him and is going, oh, Ray. And he's like, oh, Ray. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, Ray. And I'm, he calls her the next day I'm and he's like, I'm, you know, and she's like, who's this? And he's like, Jeremy. And she's like, 
who? Like, blah, blah, blah. And then she finally realizes what she's yeah. done. And Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, what are, what are some of your thoughts about this movie? I'm kind of like you. I thought this was surprisingly charming. I did not expect to be charmed coming into yeah. tonight. And I did not expect to like this movie quite as much as I, mm-hmm. as I did. It's very low-key. It is very low-key. It's, it's got a nice tempo throughout. Yeah. It's very even keel. It's kind of subtle throughout the vast majority of the movie. We know that, like, Mirabelle's talked about how she does a little bit of art, and she occasionally sells a few pieces of art. But you only see her working on one piece of art throughout this film. And it's this, like, constant work throughout the, throughout the movie in various fits and spurts. But at some point, she leaves her job at Fix, Saks Fifth Avenue kind of later in the movie, and she gets a job at this gallery. And pretty soon, like, one of the names outside the gallery is, is Mirabelle Buttersfield. And they're showing her work. And she happens, it just so happens that Ray wanders in on the night that they're showing her work. And she, she wants to give her him the piece of art that she made while they were together. But she's there with Jeremy, who's very proud that his girlfriend's My art girlfriend did that. Yeah, is on display. And it, it just was really charming. And the, the way the relationship develops with mirabelle and jeremy at the very end of the movie it, it really kind of won me over i really didn't i expected that that was going to come back uh-huh. and i it, like throughout the vast majority of the movie i didn't want it to happen mm-hmm. and just the way jeremy's character arcs at yeah. the end you were content with it yeah you were like good for him it's like and that's really kind of the ideal thing with a relationship is that it makes the other person want to be better and Maribel and and Jeremy got to where they wanted to be better for each other. Ray never could, and that was his shortcoming. Well, but he realizes afterwards, like yeah, at the end of the movie, afterwards. he realizes like what he chose for himself, what he missed out on, and he's kind of disappointed. He has that narration because he narrates a little bit in the film. At the very end, the very beginning, very end. There's some narration from Ray, and and he talks about how he puzzled to himself how he could miss a person that he went out of his way not to fully... That he went out of his way to keep it a distance. keep it a distance so that he would not miss her when she was gone. Yeah. And, you know, he's he's twice her age. He's a divorcee. There's obviously a lot of backstory to him. He can he can get women easily, as we see throughout, throughout the film. And it just he sees this girl, and it's like, you know, I want to see if I can charm her. And does have an affection for her but as she asked at one point why can't you love me yeah because she can't kind of quite do that he does say at the end at the gallery it's like i did love you and he did yeah but to but only part way well and he didn't realize it till after she was gone yeah how much that he did yeah and there there were times like when he sleeps with that other woman and later tells her by letter because like i, I was worried i'd chicken out midway through if i didn't write it down for you and he talks about, you know, we want to hear the stupidest thing of all. I, I didn't think it would matter. That there was part of him was like, I'm getting to like her too much. I need to kind of sabotage this. But, you know, you, you like all the characters. You know, yep. They all had their foibles. They were very human. Except for maybe Lisa. Except for maybe Lisa. But Lisa gets hers, so yep. that works out. Yeah, this was just a, a charming, pleasant film. I don't think, feel like there's an a excessive amount to say. to say. And that was one of the things that's going to kind of come come into the ratings and stuff on this for me. Because I really enjoyed it. But it's it's not great. It doesn't aim to be. 
it, it's it's not that deep. It's got a simple story. It's based on a novella. It is a novella of a movie. Uh-huh. And it says everything it needs to say. It's not all on the surface. Some of it's uh, a little bit deeper, but it's not deep, deep. Yeah. But I, do Do we want to do the ratings now, or did we want to? Sure, go for it. I'm going to give it three stars, and I think I'm going to, I would give it like 7.5 on the 10 star scale. Yeah. I'd probably round it up to eight if I had to round it. I was going to say, I'm going to give it three and eight, mm-hmm. which kind of surprised me. So tonight, we were debating between Steve Martin's 2001 movie, Nova Kane, and this 2005 Shop Girl. Mm-hmm. And... I think part of the reason we picked Shop Girl was because it had a slightly higher rating. Yeah. But we're talking, like, this has an aggregate score on IMDb of 6.3 stars, and Novocaine had an aggregate score of, like, 5.8. So it was a marginal difference in the score. But having watched this tonight, I am a little bit surprised that its rating on IMDb is so low. Mm. Its Metacritic score was... 62. And it has a 61% on Rotten Tomatoes. Which strikes me as a little bit low. Yeah, I would would say. Have you ever read Steve Martin? Anything he's written? I've read one of his books. I forget the name of it off the top of my head, but I've definitely added this one to my list. Yeah, I read, I audiobooked a... One of his kind of short little vignette books. They're not even short stories. They're little kind of... Con- I'm, the one I remember is... It's a, like an ad for a drug. And then it's like four or five pages worth of side effects that might happen that get like <laughs> super detailed. Yeah. But that was probably around 18 years ago. But he's been doing little cartoons for the New Yorker. Somebody else draw them, but he writes them. And I've been following those online. And he's got a very dry sense humor to him. Oh, yeah. You know something that occurred to me today? Uh, as I was looking, and I was looking at the age differences. So Steve Martin was born in 1945. Claire Danes was born in 1979. So Steve Martin's not a baby boomer. I always thought of him as a baby boomer, but he's a member of that silent generation. No, he was, yeah, he was not older, but he was above average age by the time he did, like, some of the Saturday Night Live mm-hmm. stuff and, you know, broke out from that. And, mm-hmm. and I think maybe that has some uh I don't know, I think he's his very talented. Stick. He is a wonderfully talented yeah. uh, guy that has uh, a lot of perceptiveness to him. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's a really fun performance in this, too. Yeah, it's well. It's it's a very straight, restrained. flat, restrained mm. performance. We've made the comment before that sometimes comedians are better in dramatic roles, mm. or they do very well in dramatic roles. Uh, and this is a good example. They, they get the subtleties which you wouldn't expect from this stereotype version of a comedian. You might. Well, have I think that that actually is the case because they know the subtleties that make people laugh, mm. so they can see some of the other subtleties and and know how to share those or at least that's my take on it so yeah was it Edmund Gwen that uh, reportedly said he's on his deathbed and his son's there it's like dad is it hard dying is easy comedy is hard and that's what makes comedians can make comedians such solid dramatic uh, actors because in a way it's easier They what they're used to doing I did not see a budget for this film it had an opening weekend of a mere $229,000. Okay. It had a domestic gross of $10.2 million and a worldwide gross of eleven point six. It's not a big moneymaker, depending on how much you put into this, but are you ready for some trivia? Sure. From IMDb. For the scene on Maribel's bedroom where the cat jumps on the bed and watches her and Jeremy, there were actually two cats used. The director explains in his commentary that one could jump but never watched. 
and the other was good at watching, but couldn't jump. Alternate casting for the part of Ray. Okay. Any ideas? Oh, surprise me. Uh, Steve Martin had Tom Hanks in mind to play Ray, Ray Porter. Uh, uh. But as the film's development progressed, he felt he was better suited to play the part since he was so familiar with the work. Jeremy Jimmy Fallon was cast as Jeremy, but eventually dropped out. That's good. I think that might have worked. It, I would have probably rooted for a Jimmy Fallon character he more. He wouldn't have been as pathetic at the beginning. I don't think he would have been able to play it as straight as Jason Schwartzman does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Claire Danes took her clothes off for Mirabelle's first love scene with Martin's character, a moment that left the actress uneasy. Mm-hmm. A friend told her, it's good you're doing it at 25. When you're 80, you'll look back on this and think, I was pretty firm, so there's that. It was uncomfortable, I have to say, but I did think that it was relevant and useful, Dane said. Also, it's erotic. There's no reason to pussyfoot around that. I thought it was vital, though, so I stripped. She, she doesn't comes on a little bit, a little bit aggressive to him when she take when he takes her home, and yeah. I was a little surprised when he comes back in the room and she's d- disrobed. Well, but she's also not. It's not excessively gratuitous either. No. Yeah. Yeah. During her 2000 arrest, 2001 arrest for shoplifting, Winona Ryder told a security guard at the Saks Fifth Avenue department store in Beverly Hills that her st- stealing was merely a part for her preparation for a role in this film. Uh. One last item. The morning after Maribel and Ray have sex for the first time, Ray is making them toast for breakfast and puts out Knott's Berry Farms brand jam. Did you notice that? Okay. A young Steve Martin performed with a comedy troupe at the Knott's Berry Farm theme park. Mm-hmm. So that's why he inserted that there. Yeah, just a fun, charming movie. Not for all audiences. It is rated R, though it's kind of a soft R. It's probably basically just got to be for... He had a little bit of nudity in it. Yeah, but there's not excessive language or anything mm-hmm. of that nature. So, yeah. I would recommend this movie. It uh, does, we've given it, our ratings. Yeah, and it doesn't... Like you, I'm I'm a little curious about that book now. Yeah. And see how close it is. Oh, it's already on my Goodreads list. So, yeah. If there's nothing else, I'm Rob. I'm Nate. And this is Rob and Nate Record a Podcast. I'll uh, conduct. What? I'll host. I want your first impressions first, though. All right. That's fine. Okay. That was fun. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Not Not too long. I thought it would be. An hour and 46 minutes, mm-hmm. relatively short, but mm-hmm. it accomplished what it needed to. So, yeah. You got any no. ad sponsors for us? Not really. Can't come up with something about Coke? Not about Coke. Maybe we're back to Sex Fifth Avenue. The pause that refreshes? <laughs>